Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. You know that when I, when I feel awkward, I tend to make jokes. Um, and that a lot of times, like, I'll say something and I'll put my foot in my mouth. So I tried really hard during the middle school lesson not to get myself fired. Um, and I think I've tried as much as I could try for them. So you're going to get the leftover trying, which is not going to be very much. So yeah, if I say something that maybe doesn't come across the right, right way, maybe you can cut me a little slack. Okay, so we're talking, tonight we're talking about sex. This is the last of our Hot Topic series. We talked about bad Christians. We talked about drinking. We talked about gossip. Tonight we're talking about sex. And when I said the word sex in middle school, I mean, it was like giggles galore, you know. Um, so as we're talking about sex and yeah, you guys are obviously more mature. Uh, I want to ask you two things. First thing is just to, li- to listen to what Jesus has to say about this. This is one of those where I'm going to try to just like, yeah, get behind the Bible and get out of the way and let, let Jesus talk about this. Uh, the next thing is, if you're like me, and when you feel awkward, and yeah, I, yeah we just acknowledge, you know, I had, yeah, we just need to acknowledge this is an awkward thing to talk about. Uh, so if you're like me, you'll start kind of making jokes. You know, you'll start kind of like, you know, making jokes with the person next to you and like, Please don't distract others from hearing God's word either. Uh, So those are kind of like the two things before we get started I want to ask you to do. So we're going to talk about sex by the numbers, statistics on sex. And these are a little misleading because I started looking, you know, I love to look up numbers. This is a little, you know, it's it's a little misleading. We'll find out how it's misleading when we get to the final number. Uh, Between 91 and 2015, the proportion of students or the number you know, ratio of students who have ever had sex has actually decreased by 10 points. So teens are having less sexual intercourse, another word you probably thought you'd never hear me say, um, than ever. The next statistic is that teen pregnancy is also down. It's way down. It's down 58% over the past 10 years. So you may not think it when you go to Midland and you see the nursery, but teens are making less babies today than they were you know, 10, 20 years ago. Um, the next thing is that, you know, and we're all thankful for this, the abortion rate among teens is down 20% in the past years. So all that seems like good news. And I mean, really, it is good news. But here's the little caveat. Most experts attribute these declines to the exponential growth of porn use among teens. So instead of actually having sex, now it says, it's, it, the statistics show that most teens and adults, by the way, it's actually are, having, are watching sex on a screen. They say it's actually contributing to the declining birth rate in the United States is because people are having less sex because they don't care about sex anymore because they're just watching porn. And there's also, the, uh, well, you guys don't need me to tell you this, but there's the documented rise of what they call porn 2.0, the open source, where people just send porn back and forth to each other. They make their own. So, well, the numbers start out, some of you are already like, I'm ready to leave. Uh, But the numbers start out looking good, and we can kind of maybe rejoice in that, but we also can't act like this is not an issue today. So why talk about it at church? You know, why make you squirm? Why make me stand up here and looking like an idiot and squirm? It's because you are bombarded wherever you go, whatever you watch, whatever you listen to with conflicting messages 
about sex, what it means, and how it should be. And we're thankful that God's word is incredibly, (laughs) surprisingly maybe for some of you, clear on sex and what God expects. Yeah, some people... Yeah, there, I, I thought I wrote down there's a couple reactions about you know, talking about porn at church. We run the risk of not talking about it at all and letting the culture define what it is. We also run the risk of talking about it. Yeah, I grew up, the only thing I heard about sex was don't do it, it's dirty, it's bad, it's wrong. So then you grow up thinking, well, sex is dirty, bad, it's wrong, and it's wrong. So, but there's actually more to it than that. And this is the truth. This is the big thing we're gonna, yeah, as we kind of get into the notes that we're gonna talk about tonight is that sex is a gift from God that we manage for him. So you may be responding, well, that's not really an issue for me. You know, like, I, like I'm not active in that. I don't participate in that. I don't do that. Um, some of you may be you know, kind of created like a defiant thing in here. You're like, you don't tell me what to do with my body. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your body. I'm going to tell you what God says about sex. Um, and maybe there's some, like here tonight, there's like, I've messed up. Like I haven't managed that area well in my life. What should I do? I wonder if God still loves me and still wants to use me and wants to have a relationship with me. So we're going to answer those questions tonight. And I think, yeah, to me, the passage just screams this is John chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 8. And as you're turning there, I'm just going to give you like a little heads up. This is a, when you, when you look at it in the Bible, some of you in your Bibles, there are like brackets around that passage. Or there's like an, an I always have to make sure I say this right so I don't cuss, an asterisk. By, the, um, you know, by that passage or a footnote that says the earliest manuscripts do not include this passage or something to that effect. Uh, I, I'll tell you that you know, from a lot of research and a lot of you know, studying on my part, I can say with a high degree of certainty, this was included in the Bible, in the book of John when he wrote it. And I could explain all of those reasons to you tonight, but then I won't get to talk about sex, and we all want to talk about sex tonight. So what I've done, in Wyatt, Wyatt and I kind of tag-teamed on this, we put together a, a, a little, I call it a deep dive, a little, a little explanation about this passage, and it's going to be on the app tomorrow. So you'll see it like on the app tomorrow. We'll probably share it on Instagram tomorrow too, so you can, you can get a link to it. And it explains why we can believe that this is in the Bible, that this is an actual occurrence in the life of Jesus, and there you go. So we're not glossing over that. We're not like just looking past it, but we also, well, some of you don't, but we we're also really want to talk about sex tonight. So if you look at John chapter 8, verse 1, we're going to read this, and we're going to kind of comment on it. Chapter 8, verse 1, they each went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came with him. He sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might bring a charge against him. So the Pharisees were, you know, they were always on Jesus' case. That's kind of putting it mildly. But they were, they were trying to get Jesus to trip up. They were trying to present to him an issue that they could pin him on and say, ha, you don't know what you're talking about. So they, this is how sick and twisted they were. They found, they actually caught someone in the, well, you don't catch someone in the act of adultery. You catch two people in the act of adultery. I hope you've learned that so far. Um, and, and, they, and, and they grab the woman who is participating in the act, and they take her and they bring her into the temple where Jesus is teaching the courtyard, and they place her in front of all these people and say, 
Jesus, we caught this woman in adultery. Now the law of Moses, you know, like Deuteronomy, it says this woman is supposed to be put to death by rocks being thrown at her. That's what the Bible says, Jesus. So what do you say? So they're either gonna make Jesus preside over something that's very unfair and very unkind, or they're gonna make Jesus break the law of Moses. They think they've got him trapped. So Jesus, of course, vintage Jesus, the way that he responds, he starts writing in his finger with the ground. In verse seven, they continue to ask him. They keep bugging him. So he stands up, said to them, let him who is without sin be among you the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and started writing on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, the older ones, <laughs> beginning with the older ones. And Jesus left alone with the woman was standing before him. Jesus stood up to her and said, woman, where are, your, where are they now? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. So this is a passage where we have Jesus who has an encounter with someone. We always say sex is a gift from God that we manage for him, someone who did not manage that gift well, someone who messed up in this area. Before we talk about this lady who messed up, though, we have to talk about is sex good or is it bad? Is it right or is it wrong? Is it clean or is it dirty? We start out by recognizing this, that God created sex. Um, don't Google image search pictures of Adam and Eve in the garden. This is the most tame one I found. And usually like in, you know, in Sunday school, they're always like strategically placed bushes in front of Adam and Eve. You know, I like this one because it has a strategically placed lion. You know, <laughs> that's like so much more interesting. But, um, but keep, your, keep your finger in John chapter eight. Turn back to Genesis chapter two. Oh, this is so hard to behave the last lesson, I'm trying real hard. But Genesis chapter two outlines the creation of the world and of us, of people. And John chapter, or excuse me, Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter one pretty much just said, God created humans, breathed into them the breath of life. And then in chapter two, it's like zooming into, here's how God created people, how God created humankind. And it talks about how God created Adam. He created a man first. And, he, um, and then in verse 20, it says the man of Genesis chapter two. The, the verse is on the screen there too, so you can, you can look at it if you don't have a Bible. The man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heaven, every beast of the field, but for him, Adam, there was not a helper fit to be found for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man while he, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed his place up with flesh, and the rib that God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. This, then the man said, this is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man, and this is kind of a big, God's big statement on sex and marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This process was confirmed by Jesus in Mark chapter 10. He, he confirmed this, and this is how Jesus understood to be sex in the right way too. Why is sex such a big, sex such a big deal to God? If you're filling in the notes, there's a bunch of C words that have to do with how God created sex. And the first thing that sex does is it creates life. God's first command to humans in Genesis 1.28, he said, be fruitful and multiply. So God created a man, he created a woman, he said, go have sex. To put it maybe a little bluntly. I keep looking at April. She's gonna look, give me this look if I've gone too far. She's my, she's my center. Yeah, she's my help meet here in this. <laughs> okay, so, but he, he, yeah, he created a man, he created a woman. He says, go replenish the earth, make babies. So sex creates life. Some of us don't like to think about that because we're just not gonna go there. The next thing that we learn about sex, the way that God designed sex, God designed sex to confirm marriage. Look at the process in verse 24. It says, therefore a man will leave his father and mother 
That means mama's not paying his cell phone bill anymore. Mama's not paying his car, yeah, car payment. Mama's not paying for his Xbox Game Pass anymore. So yeah, a man will leave his family. He will not be committed to them in the same degree that he is anymore. And will, it says, hold fast to his wife. That's not like a physical, like, hold fast to his wife. That denotes a commitment. So when a, you know, when a, when a man and a woman stand across from each other in a marriage ceremony and she's got the dress on and he's got the, you know, the, the spiffy-looking tux on and they make lifelong commitments, vows to each other, he holds fast to his wife. And then it says, they shall become one flesh. And become one flesh means exactly what you think it means. It means... They have sex. So that's the, that, that's the, the way, yeah, that's the, I'm getting all tongue-tied here, getting awkward, isn't that fun? Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's the way things happen. That's the order of things. So sex confirms marriage. That's the second one. Sex also celebrates love and intimacy. This may be one of the coolest verses in the Bible. It said, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You know, when you, you, know, you know the cartoons when someone accidentally, like his, his, his shorts get pulled off by a vacuum cleaner or something, he's got the heart boxers on. What does he always do? He always goes like this, right? Because we, we, we always have this connotation of nudity, shame, nudity, shame. You have a guy and a girl together and they're naked and they're not ashamed. So it cultivates love and intimacy. There's a, once there's the commitment, there's, this, there, there's this, this, this level of intimacy and level of love and, and level of connection that's just off the charts. And the final thing is it cultivates enjoyment. Think about this. Sometimes you gotta get mad at Adam and Eve for screwing this up. I mean, God, cre- God created this beautiful garden and cre- he created two people that were like handcrafted for each other. You know, one of the most frustrating things about dating and trying to find the perfect one for you is wondering if it's the perfect one for you. Adam and Eve never had to grow up wondering who the perfect one for them was. God's like, here you are, here you are, here you guys are, get together, have sex, this is a beautiful garden, and you can be naked. Like it was the ideal environment. Am I going too far yet? Okay, it, but... It's the ideal environment because sex was not supposed to just be a, a, like, like a mechanical, we shall create a baby. It was, it was supposed to be an en- enjoyment. God created it for humans to enjoy too in that confine that he, he, he gave of marriage. So sex, I guess we could say, is a big deal to God. So it should be a big deal to us that we manage it well for him. So we learned that God created sex and Then we kind of look back at John chapter eight and we look at this story, we look at this account and we see um, a lady who did not, it takes two to tango, yeah, and we're gonna get to that. Like the the, the man somehow got off scot-free and this this lady gets all all the shame here. But we find someone who did not manage that gift well. And you've maybe sat through the health class before and they teach you how to, yeah, be safe and have safe sex, but sex outside of God's plan is anything but safe and need to make a little commercial. What does Jesus, how does Jesus define sex outside his plan? We learn about adultery here, but Jesus had something else to say about adultery. He said, if any man looks at a woman lustfully, he has already committed adultery in his heart. So when we think of adultery, we think about like, like, a, like a sleazy motel and a couple old people that are having an affair. And that could be it. But when we think of adultery, we also can think about pornography. We can think about those mature rated shows on Netflix that cause us to lust. So but yeah, I wanted to give that commercial because some of it, we, we're not talking about that 40-year-old lady down at the motel. We're talking about things that teenagers deal with too. 
So sex outside of God's plan, the first thing that we see is shame. Remember how Adam and Eve, they were naked in the garden. They didn't have any shame. Naked, no shame, naked, no shame. Here we see naked shame. It actually, the, the word um, for caught in the act, it says that she was caught in the act of adultery. That word, it, it, it's a hard word to translate, but it kind of brings the thought of caught red-handed. Like caught with your hand in the cookie jar. Like she wasn't like caught like, like, like security cameras saw her leaving this guy's house. Like she was caught like in the, be- in the bed, in the act. And they grab her and put her in front of Jesus. We don't know if she had time to grab clothes. We don't know. And I'm not saying that to be crude or rude. I'm just saying there's this high degree of shame, right? You're caught in the act of this. You're paraded in front of all these people, probably mostly men. And there's this, there's this shame. And what we learn is the Pharisees, they didn't really care about her. Her sexual mismanagement was their own sick, twisted way of getting entertainment by trying to get Jesus to give the wrong answer. And we see shame today when sex happens outside of God's intention. Yeah. Little thing called revenge porn. Rumors that spread about what she did with him and he did with them. And he breaks up with her and then he goes and tells all his guy friends what he did with her. Or reverse, she tells all her girlfriends what she did with him. And there's this, 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 this shame the next thing we see are impersonal, disposable relationships. How sad it this, this, this woman, that's all we know about her is that she was a woman. There's no name attached to her. The Pharisees won't even talk to her. They only talk about her. You notice that? They say, this woman was caught in adultery. This woman was, it's, it's totally impersonal. The big question is, where was the guy? Yeah, where was the guy that probably told her, I love you so much, baby? Can you come over to my place? Well, all of a sudden, that guy that loved her so much was out of there, right? Um, impersonal, disposable relationships. Okay, I, I'll, okay, we'll go there. The University of Michigan and their uni, uni, introduction to the university class that one day you'll have to take at Marshall. It used to be called Uni 101. Now I think it's called like Week of Welcome or something weird like that. But in their in their introduction to University of Michigan, what here's what because sex in the college environment has you know, become so impersonal and so disposable that you know, they're literally, they talk to you about how to have sex and they say that before you have sex with someone, and they give you a template. It's a waiver that you should have them sign. So do you, I mean, do you see how impersonal it gets and how you know, what God designed me this incredibly you know, intimate, loving, you know, now foreplay is like signing a document. Like that's what is going on here. And it becomes impersonal, it becomes disposable. The next thing is it's unfair. I have in my Bible written in big letters, where's the guy? How unfair is that? And does that not still happen now? Do not, do not girls seem to get the label much more fast, you're much faster than guys do? A guy can sleep with half the cheerleading squad and his friends all just joke about it. A girl messes up one time and she's labeled a slut. Tell me it doesn't happen. Is that still not going on now? Where's the guy? Even today, sex outside of God's plan creates some very unfair relationship power plays. Outside of God's plan, sex hurts others. You know, one thing we don't learn about, we don't know about is what happened to her family. What happened to 
his family? How did it affect her kids? How did it affect his kids? Some of you may, may know all too well, or you may have a friend that knows all too well the effect that sexual sin can have on a family. Some of you are people that you know, dad doesn't live there anymore. Mom doesn't live in your house anymore because of mismanagement of sex. By the way, we're not just talking about adultery. Do you know that simply by viewing pornography, they say you are, you are feeding into an, in, an industry that sex traffics millions of people every year. So porn isn't harmless either. And it harms yourself. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says that when you sin sexually, sexual immorality is sinning against your own body. In sex class, they teach you how to have safe sex. And you see those really disgusting pictures of all the different, S- yeah, yeah, I remember seeing all the different STDs and, and all that stuff. And yeah, there, it, it, as long as you have safe sex, you're gonna be okay, but there's not enough latex in the world to protect your soul. And when you make an intimate connection with a person, and then they move to the other side of the country, when you make an intimate connection with a person, and then they're done with you and they're on to your best friend, you can't protect your soul from that. There's not a condom big enough for your soul. So we'll move on from that one. Jesus has something to say about sex and sin. Because at this point now, we're either feeling super judgmental. That's not a potato, that's a rock. It looks like a potato, I know, I was told. It's not a potato, it's a rock. Um, Jesus has something to say about sex and sin. We're probably at this point now in one of two different camps. We're either saying, I'm so glad that we're having this lesson. Because you're thinking about somebody that's in the room tonight that messed up and really needs to hear what a wreck they're making of their life. Some of us fall into that category, the self-righteous category. And then maybe there are people that fall into the category of, yeah, I know that all too well. Like, I messed up here. Jesus has something to say to both of you. What are the reactions? There are middle schoolers being killed downstairs, apparently. Uh, what, what, What was the reaction of Jesus to all these charges that were brought against this woman. Did he ever stoned? Did he ever put to death? Did he go along with it? Look, we're just gonna look at the responses of Jesus, the words that Jesus said. This is the first. He says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to cast a stone. I re- about a month ago, I read through the whole book of John. I did it in like two or three days just to get a good like overview of it. One thing I learned, the Pharisees, they were so quick to pick up rocks. I mean, they were always looking for a reason to kill somebody. <laughs> they, were, they were like that guy that's packing, that's w- just wanting for something to happen at that convenience store. So he'd go, pop, 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 you know, like, 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 <laughs> you know, they were, ready to, they were ready to judge someone. They were ready to throw the rocks. And sometimes we, we get into that, that category. We're just ready to pounce on somebody. We're ready to say, ha, I knew you were doing that. Jesus says, whoever's without the sin, without sin, cast the first stone. So before you pile on to what she did publicly, start thinking about what you do privately. It says the oldest of the Pharisees were the first to put their rocks down and then the youngest because the oldest were catching on to what he's saying. Ain't nobody perfect. The next thing that Jesus would say, and I believe he would say that to to, to any of you who who have not been following God's way for this, is he'd say, you're still important to me. You notice in here, the Pharisees always talked about the woman. Jesus talked to the woman. 
Jesus would say, you're still important to me. Jesus says, even though you feel like you don't have dignity, you still have dignity because you were created in my image. The next thing Jesus would say in verse 11, my grace is greater than your sin. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. How could he say that to a woman who was cheating on her husband, like caught in the act, brought out maybe naked in front of all these people? How could Jesus say, I don't condemn you? It's because we learned in Romans chapter eight, verse one, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus could say, I don't condemn you because he knew that in a matter of days, he would be hanging on a cross and the sin that she just committed would be placed on him and he would die for that sin. So Jesus says, my grace is greater than your sin. It's greater than what you looked at on your phone. It's greater than that thing you did with that person. And the next, the final thing he'd say is new life begins now. Oh, we're doing really good on time. So we get to get to my F words about sex and I'm very excited about that. Um, but Jesus would say the final thing is new life begins now. Look at verse 11. He says, go, from now on, go and sin no more. Think about what a big thing that was to say to someone. What if I was to tell Brian, Brian, you can't sin for the rest of, the, the rest of your life. Go and sin no more. But I was to say that to Wyatt. It'd be impossible, wouldn't it? How do we go and sin no more? Especially, how can a woman who has already proven that she's like, like, like easily falls victim to lust and sexual sin, how can he just tell her, go and sin no more? It's kind of like when Jesus told the lame man to go pick up his bed and walk. Kind of like when he told the leper to, that he was clean and to go show himself to the priest. It's kind of like when he told a blind man to open his eyes. All of those things have the same thing in common with this, that you can't do it without Jesus. What he says is, you, your new life begins today. You've met me. You've had an encounter with me. You have a relationship with me. Now live a life of victory. Life with Jesus begins today. So we've learned about how God created sex. We've learned about how sex outside of God's plan is never safe. We've learned that Jesus offers both, um, I guess you could say, um, um, a kick in the pants to the comfortable and a comfort to the kicked. And the final thing is, what should we do from now? How, how, how should a teenager be wise when it comes to sex? So I just entitled this Wisdom on Sex. And that's on the back side of your, if you're taking notes, that's on the back side of your, your page there. But, uh, I, I, you know, it, for this lesson, you know how I like to do F words for lessons anyway. For this one, we gotta have F words. And we've got them, six of them actually. Wisdom on sex. The first thing to do is flee when tempted. You know, the Bible talks a lot about how to handle temptation and how to fight Satan's temptation. But there's something interesting about lust, about sexual temptation. Every time it's mentioned in the Bible, there's an F word following it. And you know what it is? Flee. This is not a temptation that God wants you to fight. It's a temptation he wants you to flee. Think about Joseph when, you know, old Potiphar's wife put on a little negligee and bounce shake a bow on, was trying to, was trying to, you know, was trying to entice him to sleep with her. Did, did he reason with her? I think I went too far. Did he reason with her? No, he left. He le she grabbed him. He left his coat in her hands. He was like, I'm getting out of here. Flee when tempted. Flee. The next one is ferociously. You like that one? Ferociously remove the sources. Go back one. Oh, okay. Ferociously remove the sources of temptation. Jesus said about this specifically about lust. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. 
Now that's what we call hyperbole. He does, is not telling you to go gouge your eye out tonight. What he's saying is if there is something that is causing you to lust, remove it from your life if you can. So maybe that means, yeah, we've talked about this before, maybe that means that your phone doesn't go in your room with you. Maybe that means there's a show that you need to stop watching. Ferociously remove the sources of temptation. That's on you, by the way. Yeah, when Jesus said, whoever looks on a woman and lusts after her has committed adultery in his heart, who does he put the responsibility on? Not the person being lusted after, the person who is lusting. So I, sometimes I get tired of guys saying, well, if girls wouldn't dress the way they do, I wouldn't have a problem. That's not their problem. That's your problem, buddy. You turn your eyes where they need to go. Stop going you know, certain places. Turn that show off. It's on you. Figure out boundaries now, not later. Tonight is the perfect time to figure out boundaries. And by the way, you know, everybody always asks me, well, Matt, how far is too far? You know, like, like when does it become sex? Well, it's really not even with you know, Jesus when it becomes sex, it's when it becomes lust. So anything that causes you to lust is too far. Figure out the boundaries now, not later. Tonight's the night to decide that, not Friday night in, in the back of the whatever kind of car you drive under the stars. You're not gonna make good decisions then, are you? Figure out boundaries now, not later. Find the escape hatch when you're in a bad situation. Um, I, I, I know I've heard that some of you have set this up with your parents and you know, if you have parents that would do this, this would be good or you know, if not, you can even set it up with me, but you know, a, way out of a, a way out of a bad situation. Like a, something that you can text your parents so you can text someone, like a code so that they can call you and be like, I need you to come home now. Like so if you're in a bad situation where you're being tempted or where you know, you're like, I shouldn't be alone with this person right now, have somebody that you can, can come get you and get you out. Find the escape patch when you're in a bad situation. Jesus says, when you're tempted, he will make a way of escape. The next thing, embrace God's forgiveness. Think about the words of Jesus. If this is an area where you've struggled, you, know, you can't beat that. You, seem like, you feel like you just keep failing when it comes to beating that porn addiction. Um, if you've given a piece of yourself to someone and now you so much regret it, embrace the forgiveness that God that God offers. The next is think about your future. Uh, it's crazy to think about, but there is a, yeah, some of you, there is a, your future spouse is walking this earth. <laughs> oh, yeah, I wonder what they're doing tonight, you know. Uh, yeah, your future spouse is walking this earth. So think about this when you're, you know, when you're thinking about, you know, sex and temptation and, and physicality is, you know, are you doing something with someone that you wouldn't want them doing with your future spouse? Think about your future. Final thing is remind yourself that as a child of God, you're free from the prison of sin. Um, I know we've talked about this before, but pornography can be incredibly addictive. And I know it's a struggle for a lot of guys and girls in the room tonight. Um, sometimes it's so easy to you know, let the enemy tell us that you can't beat this, that it's always gonna be part of your life. But through Jesus, the Bible says, who the sun sets free He's free indeed, and you can be free from the prison of, sin, prison of sin in this area. Whew, we're done. Was it awkward, not awkward? We'll see. We'll see what y'all say about me afterwards. Um, but I'm, I'm going to pray for you guys, and then we're going we're gonna, to uh, get together, circle up, and pray and get out of here. But um, thank you guys for letting me you know, 
talk about a touchy topic. I try to just follow the Bible, not give you my opinion because my opinion doesn't really matter. God's opinion is the only thing that's important. Uh, If you have any questions or you need to talk to somebody afterwards, of course, we're here. The leaders are here. Uh, So let me pray for you guys and we'll get out of here. Father, thank you that your word is so clear on this because there's so much so much confusion and everybody has something to say about sex. God, thank you that, uh, that we don't have to wonder <laughs> how we should live and how we should be and how we should treat this gift that you've given to us. Um, God, I pray that you will help us no matter our age and no matter whether we're uh, you know, teenagers or leaders or married or not married. God, that you will give us Uh, wisdom and strength and power to manage the gift of sex that you have given to us, to manage it for your glory. Um, God, thank you that you give second chances. God, thank you that you forgive. God, we trust that you have what's best for us and most glorious to you in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.